We're all aware of Brown v. Board of Education, the unanimous 1954 Supreme Court decision that, legally anyhow, sent Jim Crow and separate but equal to the historical dustbin. But years earlier, in 1947, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit issued an opinion that helped blaze a trail to Brown. In Mendez v. Westminster, the court shielded children of Mexican ancestry from public school segregation in California. On April 14th, the 74th anniversary of a decision and the 20th anniversary of a documentary that lifted the Mendez case from the footnotes to the text of history, the Latino Judges Association is sponsoring a continuing legal education program. That program is co-sponsored by Latino Justice, PRLDEF, the Franklin H. Williams Judicial Commission, CUNY Law School Center for Latinx Rights and Equality, the Historical Society of the New York State Courts, and the New York State Judicial Institute. The Judicial Institute is also providing technical support. It will consist of a viewing of a documentary and a panel discussion moderated by the Honorable Jenny Rivera, Senior Associate Judge of the New York Court of Appeals. Panelists will include Sylvia Mendez, the lead plaintiff in the case, and Sandra Robbie, who wrote and produced the documentary. In this installment of Diversity Dialogues, we are honored to feature the Honorable Patria Frias Colon of Kings County Civil Court. Judge Frias Colon, Chair of the Latino Judges Association Committee that organized the program. I'm John Carr, and I'm the host of the Amici Podcast Series. The Judge, uh, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, let's dive right in if we can. Can you give me a brief synopsis of this case and the holding? Absolutely, John. First, I want to thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, This is really an incredible avenue for the unified court system to reach so many uh, with some really phenomenal programming. So thank you uh, for what you do. Thank you. It's my pleasure to to have you here. Fantastic. Um, You know, this case was the legal precedent responsible for desegregating schools and other public venues in California back in 1947. In fact, it was the first case in this country to rule that school segregation was in fact unconstitutional and and violated the 14th Amendment. So the lawsuit, just by way of background, it was brought by five families of uh, Mexican-American families whose children have been forced to go to segregated schools in various counties throughout California. And the only reason they were forced to go to segregated schools, John, was because of their Mexican ancestry. So the Mendez family spearheaded this effort after their daughter was denied registration to her local school. And the family had moved to that county, uh, Westminster, in fact, to harvest farmland that was owned by a Japanese family who, by coincidence, were at risk of losing their farmland because they were sent to a relocation camp. And so the Mendeses stepped in to harvest the farm while that Japanese family was in the relocation camp. The uh, lawsuit, which was in fact filed, um, was filed based on 14th Amendment grounds and the lawsuit demanded equal protection under the law to stop their respective school districts from requiring separate schools for Mexican-American children. But at the time, um, Brown had not yet been decided. 
Plessy v. Ferguson and the in the separate but equal doctrine still applied. So how were they able to get around that, the Ninth Circuit? How were they able to get around Plessy and, and come to that ruling? Well, that's a great uh, question. And I do want to say that the initial lawsuit, which uh, went to trial, there was a two-week trial uh, back in February 28th of 1946, and after that two-week trial, a federal district court agreed with the Mexican-American families and ordered an injunction against the school districts named in the case. And that district judge wrote, and I quote, a paramount requisite in the American system of public education is social equality. And as you know, uh, that was not ensured in a school system that required separate schools and so the school districts did appeal on the basis that the school district uh, segregation practices were not done under the color of the state law, and therefore the 14th Amendment did not apply, and the federal court did not have jurisdiction over the local school board action. But then, to your question, on April 14, 1947, John, the Ninth Circuit Federal Court Federal Appeals Court affirmed the federal trial court's decision. Unfortunately, though, they did not reverse Plessy, which was separate, was equal. And the school districts that were sued accepted the decision, and they could have gone up to the Supreme Court of the United States but chose not to. And so how did they get around that? They did it in, a, in one line. John, and they, the Ninth Circuit avoided answering that Herculean issue by holding that we, and I quote, we are of the opinion that the segregation cases do not rule the instant case. And that is reason enough for not responding to the argument that we should consider them in light of the amicus curiae briefs. And there were many submitted in support of the Mendez decision. It's interesting that nobody sought leave to go to the Supreme Court. I, I wonder if they uh, uh, were, were afraid of the result that would happen. Or, conversely, they may have had a very decent governor, who at the time was Earl Warren, who ultimately made the decision. Ah, uh, uh, there, there you go. I, th I, th I think you nailed it. I hit the nail on the head with that one. Now, did, did, did any other circuit courts or state courts embrace that reason, that, that reasoning? Unfortunately, uh, not. Hmm. And only, it was not until the Brown versus Board of Education case that Plessy was overturned. And the Supreme Court of the United, of the United States, in fact, ruled that separate was inherently unequal. But it took some time. Hmm. Now, for the Hispanic population in particular, what was the significance of that ruling, the Mendez ruling? Well, John, um, certainly one would expect that for the children and the families of the implicated school districts at the time, back in 1947, it would have meant that they were no longer relegated to a segregated education. Unfortunately, as we know from Brown, from the Brown decision, it took this country many years to fully desegregate, and it was the support, and it was only after there was support from the National Guard to get students to desegregate schools. Unfortunately, John, the, the Mendez case is not well known. 
why we are doing our program on April 14, 2021. And we do believe that knowing about this uh, case and teaching about this case at all levels of our education in this country, it is very important for the Latino community and, to, and for all Americans, right? Because it is part of our American jurisprudence and we all should know it. Now, of course, uh, the Supreme Court said what it said in Plessy. How did Mendez, or did Mendez, set the stage for overturning Plessy and for the decision in, in Brown? That's an excellent question. And I think that um, part of the reality was who was involved in the Mendez case and who was involved in the Brown case. And what I want to say off the top is that Thurgood Marshall at the time was the first director and counsel of the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund. And he and Robert Carter co-authored the amicus brief, one of the amicus briefs uh, that was used in the Mendez case. And as you know, Marshall went on to argue the Brown case. And then another very important player is Earl Warren. And Earl Warren, who was the governor of California during the Mendez cases, he decided to desegregate California and other public venues rather than appealing to the, to the Court of Appeals, to the, to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. And as we all know, Marshall then went on to argue the Brown case before the, state, uh, the, the Supreme Court of the United States, and the chief judge was Earl Warren, who wrote the majority opinion. So all these factors and all these players definitely connected uh, to the Mendez case were critical in setting the stage for the success in the Brown case. So it was a very incremental process, it sounds like, and it sounds like Mendez was something of, a, I don't mean to uh, demean it at all, but something of a dress rehearsal, really, for Thurgood Marshall and, and Robert Carter. I, I, would, I would agree with that. I would absolutely, absolutely agree with that. One of the things that gives me great satisfaction in looking at this case a little bit is um, the fact that this immigrant family of modest means with really no power takes on a big, powerful state like California, and they win. What does that say about our system of justice and the rule of law? Well, it gives me, uh, certainly for, for me, John, uh, it confirms that the American system of justice can be tested and it can be relied upon even when one thinks that the odds are stacked against them. Uh, I'm not proposing it's foolproof, but this case, like so many other seminal cases challenging the status quo, lends confidence to our American jurisprudence. And I will tell you that I think Bob Marley sang it best, John, when he said, so if you are the big tree, we are the small axe ready to cut you down. Mm. And I think that these families represented that small act that cut down that big tree representing desegregation in California. It sounds like a fascinating program. Now, these, uh, the, the program by the Latino Judges Association is a, is a CLE, right? Yes, it is. We actually just got confirmation from one of our uh, partners, the Judicial Institute, and we put in an amazing application, and, and it will be, uh, it is CLE accredited. Terrific. So if someone's interested, how do they uh, how do they sign up? Well, we're working on right now. Many people have 
Athena Save the Day, which has been going out since last year, because we really, our hope is for as many organizations as possible to join us. And they will, uh, we, we shortly, hopefully between this week and next week, John, we're going to be sending out the link for the registration. Terrific. Judge, thank you so much for your time, and, and, and thanks for your insight in, in, in educating me about this case. You're very welcome, John. I did want to uh, uh, certainly share with you a little bit more about what the Latino Judges uh, Association is about, because we're, we're, we're doing it, but we also have some great co-sponsors. And I just wanted to inform everyone that uh, the Latino Judges Association, which was no, uh, previously uh, called the Association of Judges of Hispanic Heritage, was founded in 1985, and our mission and purpose, which is why we're doing this program, John, is to promote uh, access to judicial office, success within the judiciary, and diversity among the legal profession. So we really uh, are very supportive of things of this nature. And we really hope that this podcast will uh, reach far and wide to help people know, learn about it and to come on board. Um, but as you know, John, uh, no, no program can go off without the amazing uh, work of other people. So I am really, really excited. I want to thank you for giving us this opportunity to join your podcast. You're very welcome. I also wanna, um, am very excited about our partners in this. Latino Justice, Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education Fund, they're a partner. The Judicial Institute, the Historical Society of New York Courts, the Franklin H. William Commission, and also CUNY Law School's Center for Latinx Rights and Equality. So we have an amazing group of, of organizers putting this together, and I'm really looking forward to having everyone join us again on April 14, 2021, at 6 p.m. And this will be the program Para Todos Los Niños, Mendez versus Westminster, a seminal case on desegregation. Thank you, John. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Judge.